Friday afternoon, you better believe it, and it's after five, what do you say? Yes, sir. It's time to Ask the Preacher. Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. They're located on North Socrum Loop Road in North Lakeland. Ask the Preacher with John Freed. John's out today, but sitting in is George Locke. Yip, 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 yippee. It is a beautiful Friday evening, afternoon. It's a great day. Weather's shaping up nicely after that rain, and I am so excited to be back here in studio with all of you people out there in Radioland. It is my favorite uh, time of the work week is uh, wrapping up the work week by being here with you folks on Ask the Preacher. Hey, just a reminder, this is Ask the Preacher. And though I run a brand strategy agency, I'm a bit of a preacher. I worked for uh, some time as a youth pastor uh, at a drug rehabilitation program. I've been involved in other ministries throughout my life. But uh, I will do my best to answer your questions with uh, a scholarly reply. And so if you want to call in and ask your question, either on topic or off topic, you can do so. If you want to share your comments, uh, give me your two cents. It's 863-682-1430. You can also go to askthepreacher.com and on askthepreacher.com, you can find the phone number in case you missed it. You can submit questions and we'll do our best to answer it on follow-up episodes Uh, You can also check out previous episodes. That's askthepreacher.com, the phone number 863-682-1430. And uh, today I I was really kind of wrestling. What what would be a good conversation for today? What would be a good thing for us to talk about? You know, there's so much craziness in the world that almost becomes cliche. You know, there's craziness in the world and Jesus is coming back. And, you know, then you get other people who say, oh, you know, Jesus is been coming back for 2000 years now kind of a thing. And, and, and they, they have this disbelief of it. And so I was talking to somebody earlier today and and I was trying to get their opinion on what we should talk about. And one of the things that uh, they suggested was a warning from Paul. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus, uh, he's writing to the, the, the church, uh, in Thessalonia, and and so in his second epistle, he writes this warning, and he's he's saying, "Listen, brothers, concerning the time of when Christ." This is Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter two. He, he, I'm paraphrasing. He says, "Concerning the coming of Jesus and the gathering of all of us, don't be deceived." And verse three says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day." shall not come. What day is he referring to? The day when Jesus returns and we are all gathered to him. The the end of this craziness. That day will not come except there come a great falling away first and that the son uh, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So there are two events that are going to occur prior to this gathering of the saints uh, to Christ. The first is this great falling away. And that's what I really want to focus on today. And and I want to focus on it from a perspective that you might not have ever heard before. And if you've been listening to the program for any time, you'll know that I'm a nerd. I love digging deep 
into the word of God and searching out those things which are uncommon or, or overlooked oftentimes. And so we're going to look at a book that is probably the most overlooked book in, in either the whole Bible or at least in the New Testament, and that's the book of Jude. And we're going to do a quick study on the book of Jude, and I think you're going to find some things that are going to not only challenge your preconceived doctrines and ideas, but you're going to see how this book, which is the shortest book in the New Testament, how it is really for us today. And so the whole point of Jude, and I'm just going to give you a quick overview, is it's it's got really deep roots. It's a book that is written. If you want to be a Bible scholar, if you want to grow deeper in your knowledge of the Word of God, man, the book of Jude is a really cool book to start with because the epistle of Jude, it talks about all of these fascinating Old Testament references and allusions. You got lessons from Israel in the wilderness it talks about these angels that sinned. It talks about strange events in Sodom and Gomorrah. It talks about Michael, the archangel, fighting over uh, fighting Satan over the body of Moses. And then you have other insights about Cain and Balaam and, and Korah. And then you have uh, this character of Enoch who is mentioned and uh, his revelations, you know, that that have been given to him. So it's it's surprising to learn that you know, of all of these different allusions with an A, allusions uh, to the events of the Old Testament that <clears throat> they're only really found uh, in Jude, like like the second coming uh, prophecy from Enoch or the fact that, you know, Noah was a, a preacher of righteousness, the names of the two magicians uh, from Egypt in the story of Moses, you know, th their names. Uh, you have the Pharaoh from the story of Exodus, you know, most people think that the Pharaoh in Exodus was an Egyptian, but he, he wasn't. We we can see evidence for this in in Jude. Um, so, you know, and then you have this really, really weird uh, conversation about Moses and his dead body. And you have Michael, the archangel, fighting uh, Satan over the body of Moses and who's going to keep it and, and where it's going to go. And you know, of the 500 Old Testament references to Moses, there's only one in reference to his whole body. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. And then there may be some, you know, relationship between the mountain containing Moses's uh, body, his sepulcher, and, and maybe Elijah's departure. So we're going to look at all of these things and how it all ties into this great falling away that Paul warns us about. So if you're interested in end times, if you're interested in Bible prophecy being fulfilled in our day, and if you want to learn something new that you probably have never heard before in regards to the Bible, I want you to stay tuned in. We're going to dive deep into it after this break. I want to remind you, you're listening to Ask the Preacher. The phone number to call in and ask a question either on topic or off topic is 863 682 1430. We got to take a quick break. I know you're sad. Hang in there. We'll be back in just a few moments. Now let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher this Friday afternoon. Brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. In for John, here's George. Welcome back to the program, all you beautiful people out there in Radioland. 
Hey, we are talking about Paul's warning. Yeah, we're talking about end time prophecies because the world is a crazy place, but two warnings or, or prophecies that Paul warns us about uh, is there's going to be before Christ returns and there's a gathering uh, of the saints to him, two things will take uh, place. And the, the one is, is there's going to be a great falling away. And so we're talking about that great falling away and we're looking at it from the book of Jude. And so we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive into the book of Jude, probably the most neglected book in the new Testament, possibly in the whole Bible. So why do we need to look at Jude? Because it is written for today. Uh, Jude is basically the vestibule. It is the, the, it's not a coincidence that Jude is listed in the canonized Bible just before Revelation. It is the setup to the book of Revelation. And everybody talks about the book of Revelation being, uh, you know, all this horrible plagues and, and judgments being poured out on the earth. But that's not really the point of the book of Revelation. Um, the first couple of verses in Revelation tell you its point. It's the unveiling of who Jesus Christ really is. He's not just the carpenter uh, from Galilee. He's not just the uh, servant, you know, the the suffering servant who died on the cross. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's returning to establish uh, his eternal kingdom. And so... The book of Jude sets all that up, and it's it's pretty interesting that this letter was written by the brother of James and happens to be one of the four brothers of Jesus. And so James, who wrote the book of James, he was the head of the church in Jerusalem, and uh, neither James or Jude were among the twelve who originally were, were called because they didn't believe at first, but after the resurrection, they they became believers in Jesus being the Messiah. And so, why did Jude write this letter? It's kind of interesting because he's got to keep in mind James is his brother, and James writes this epistle about good works as an evidence for saving faith. But Jude's letter is all about evil works as an evidence of a word called apostasy. And we're going to talk about apostasy because that's what the great falling away is. And so we have to contend for the faith because Jude is going to explain that there's, you know, there's wheat and tares that grow and there's false brethren who have stolen their way and stored their way into the church and, and the saints, you and I are in peril because of these doctrines of demons. And so uh, this letter is, is written to us. It is a letter for the church in the end times. It is written for today, and it is the foundation of what's set up in Revelation. And so we're going to go ahead and start reading the book of Jude, and we're going to kind of take it verse by verse, and I'm going to jump between my preferred reading translation, which is King James, but sometimes I'm going to jump to the Amplified because it does such a, a nice job at eloquently phrasing things. And so Jude chapter 1, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. We just talked about that. Uh, I'm writing to them who are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. We can dig deep in just that single verse, but... 
<laughs> we're going to keep going because, man, there's just so much we could talk about that. The fact that we are sanctified by the Father, but we're preserved in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' righteousness that God sees when he looks. You know, he, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't find value in and of himself. He finds his righteousness in us. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus when we repent and believe and we receive his nature. And so we could probably do a whole program just on that one verse, but we're going to keep going because I want to hit this apostasy, uh, this great falling away. So verse three says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write you about the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It is imperative for us to contend for the faith. We've talked about this before on the program. Uh, salvation isn't a one-time deal, you know, and I've given this course analogy. I enter into my marriage with my wife one day. I make a commitment to be her husband. She makes a commitment to be my wife. And in that exact moment, we become husband and wife. We become one flesh. But if a week later I step out on my wife or she steps out on me and we decide we want nothing to do with each other or we live in a way that is not becoming of a married person, we are running around, we're cheating, we're were, you know, showing interest in other people, I would not stay married very long. And constantly, constantly throughout the Bible, in the New Testament, there's warning, contend for the faith. Don't give up the race. Run the race of, of, uh, of faith. We're constantly being warned not to give up and not to fall short uh, and not to fall victim of this. So it's important for us to contend for the faith. And again, this is why the book of Jude is written. It's written for us in these last days. And I'm going to read now from the Amplified Version, verse 4, because I love the way that this is phrased. Verse 4 of Jude, it says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, just as if they were sneaking in by a side door. They are ungodly persons, whose condemnation was predicted long ago, for they distort the grace of God into decadence and in moral freedom, viewing it as an opportunity to do whatever they want. They deny and disown our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Man, that verse is, I cannot tell you how many times I, I go on, you know, YouTube or you see these videos of, of alleged Christians preaching from the pulpits that homosexuality is okay, that living a life of fornication is okay. And it's blatant now. It's not even a hidden thing. And there's many denominations that will openly ordain and promote and praise homosexuals as if it's okay to do when God calls homosexuality an abomination he doesn't just call it a sin he calls it an abomination and we're gonna see that here in the next couple of verses but man if verse four doesn't describe the modern western church this idea that oh, i can do whatever i want because jesus loves me you know i can go club in on saturday and repent on sunday it's all good nah 
Nah, not not how it works. You got to contend for the faith. You got to fight for the faith. Verse five says, "Now I want to remind you that although you are fully informed once for all that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, so he's talking about Israel in the wilderness, he subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, who refused to trust and obey and rely on him." So now Paul, uh, not Paul, Jude is, is making this, this warning. Look, they were saved, but then they gave up. They stopped contending for the faith, and 3,000 people were swallowed up by the earth when the children of Israel coming out of, of uh, Egypt, they made a golden calf. They, they gave up on Yahweh. They gave up on God. They made a calf for them themselves. They made a God to worship themselves. And 3,000 people were swallowed up by the ground. Now, what's really interesting is on the day of Pentecost, what some would call the, the beginning of the New Testament church age, I'm not a big fan of that phrase, but on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on all men, 3,000 were saved. And so God was making a restoration for what happened uh, in Egypt and in the wilderness there. Well, let's keep going in verse six. And the angels who did not keep, and I'm going to read this from the King James because I like the way the King James actually phrases this. It might be a little hard to understand in our modern dialect, but verse six of Jude says, and the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has reserved them into everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. And so we see, okay, the children of Israel, they gave up, they rebelled, they were once saved out of Egypt, but then they fell short. And now we have angels, angels who were created perfect. They left their first estate. They left their heavenly bodies. And we see this mentioned in Genesis chapter six. Now there are several different views. Some people believe this is just Satan, but it's not. It's the angels in Genesis chapter six who decided to take earthly women and make babies with them. And those babies became the giants, the Nephilim, the mighty men of old. Uh, and so we see that again, th these angels, they were apostates. They were perfect but they chased after strange flesh. And so we're going to see this in verse seven, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner were giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. The men of Sodom and Gomorrah tried to have sex with angels. That's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's why they were destroyed. And so we're going to talk about this more after the break. And we're going to dive deep into the history, the often overlooked and forgotten aspects of these stories and how it relates to us in these last days. You are listening to Ask the Preacher. The phone number to call in is 863-682-1430. We will see you in just a few moments after this break. Ah, but now let's get back to more of Ask the Preacher, your weekly chance to have Bible questions answered. And it's brought to you by Believers Fellowship Church. John Freed is your host. He's out today. Sitting in is George Locke. Welcome back to the program, you beautiful people out there in Radioland. Hey, just a reminder, you can either ask a question on topic, off topic, or you can chime in, join the conversation. 
Give us your comments, your thoughts, your ideas by calling 863-682-1430. You can also go to askthepreacher.com. You can check out the phone number there, previous episodes, or submit questions, and we will do our best to answer them on following episodes. Now, we're talking about Paul's warning in 2 Thessalonians, and one of the things that he mentions is before Jesus returns, one of the signs or one of the events that will occur is this great falling away. And so then we started diving into the book of Jude, the smallest, tiniest, uh, and the probably most neglected, overlooked book in the entire Bible, probably, uh, definitely in the, the New Testament overlooked, because it's got a lot of weird things in it, things that make people uncomfortable. And people get uncomfortable because we don't study the Old Testament as much and we, we don't know our Bibles as well as we should. And so we're talking here in Jude, and we're, we're talking about this event that's occurring in verses 6 and 7. And just to reiterate, I'm going to read 6 and 7. It says, "...in the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitations, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day." Verse 7, "...even..." So it's, it's not a separate thought. It's a comparison, just like these angels, "...even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, for set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire." So he's drawing this parallel. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James, who wrote the book of James, he's drawing this comparison. The book of Jude is about apostasy and about this great falling away. And one of the things that he's warning us about, he's giving us things that he already knew in the Old Testament, but he's now making a direct warning about idolatry in verse 5, coming up with your own version of Yahweh. You know, the, the children of Israel didn't make a golden calf uh, when they were let out by God himself, right? So th the angel of the Lord in, in that verse, it's not just a random angel. It is the pre-incarnate Christ. It is, it is uh, God himself who is leading them out. There was no mistaking which deity freed them from Egypt. It was Yahweh. And they made a golden calf, not because they were trying to worship a different deity. They were trying to worship Yahweh on their own terms. They were trying to make a Yahweh that fit their version of worship, their idea of worship. And so Jude is warning us of this apostasy in the last days. And the first example he gives is the children of Israel who were freed from Egypt, but then were killed. 3,000 of them were killed because they tried to worship God on their own terms. And then the next reference he gives us is the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. Both groups, the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah, were chasing sexual desires that were forbidden. The angels chased after women and made the Nephilim, which ultimately gave rise to what we call demons today. That's a whole study on, a, on a, another day that will we'll uh, talk about, but that's found in Genesis chapter six. And then you have Sodom and Gomorrah who uh, not only were participating in homosexuality, but they were also trying to fornicate with angels in, in the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah that we see with Lot. And so he's warning us about sexual perversions and, and 
man, if that doesn't describe the last days, you, you got people now promoting children, cutting off their uh, private parts and mutilating themselves permanently and chemically castrating themselves and getting hysterectomies and, and all of these sick, perverse things to children, to children. We're promoting uh, as a society mental illness as if it's a good thing to champion. Oof. Man, if that's not Sodom and Gomorrah, I don't know what it is. But let's keep reading here because we're going to see more examples. In verse 8, it says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. They despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. And then we get this weird verse. Verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses... And he didn't bring a railing accusation against him, but instead said, the Lord rebuke thee. So now we, we see this example of what an apostate is. It's pretty clearly listed out uh, what an apostate is or what they do. And then we see the antithesis of that, the opposite of that in Michael the Archangel. But the example that Jude gives is this really obscure verse that Moses died and the devil wanted his body. And the question naturally arises, well, why did the devil want Moses' body? And the answer is nobody really knows. But there's some pretty good guesses. Uh, one, there's an idea that maybe it was going to be used for false worship that uh, just like they took the tablets and Aaron's rod and later turned those into idols, it's possible that he wanted to uh, present this idol of Moses's body to Israel so that they would fall into idolatry. Um, some other theories give hints to maybe a future for Moses. Maybe he serves a future role. And some people think that based out of the... Uh, the story we see, not the story, but the, the, let's call it the staff meeting, a meeting of the staff in Matthew chapter 17, the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, Jesus is there with his disciples and he's praying. And then all of a sudden, uh, two characters show up beside him, Moses and Elijah. And I would contend it's possible that, that they might be the two witnesses in the end, because uh, there's many reasons for it, and um, again, maybe this is a different episode, but they have what some would consider unfinished ministries, and the things that occur from these two witnesses are the same signs and wonders that Elijah and Moses performed. And so, you know, maybe God wanted to preserve Moses' body. That's conjecture on my part, but there's some thoughts behind it, and and. Maybe we can talk about that on another episode. And you got verse 10 here in Jude. Going back to Jude 10. But speak these evil things. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. I'm going to read this from the Amplify because it, it does a good job at really explaining this in modern language and really puts an emphasis. But these men sneer at anything which they don't understand. And whatever they do know, mere instinct, like unreasoning and irrational beasts, 
by these things they are destroyed. Verse 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the defiant way of Cain. So again, we get another Old Testament reference. For such a short book, it sure does have a whole lot of history in it. Uh, for they have gone the defiant way of Cain, and for profit they have run headlong into the error of Balaam, and they perished in the rebellion of Korah. Man, so we're getting a, a view of what this last day's great falling away is. And Jude is writing to us, and now he's not only given us the example of creating a false image of God, the children of Israel in the wilderness, he's not only warned us of extreme sexual perversions and immorality, but he's now giving us the example of Cain and Balaam and Korah. And so you got to look back at, well, what does that mean? What was Cain's mistake? What was Cain's problem? You know, if we got to be careful to not be apostates and not fall into Cain's error, well, what was his error? You know, Cain, he didn't deny the existence of God. In fact, he spoke to God face to face, if you will, or, or you know, it was a direct communication. And he didn't refuse to worship God because we see that he... He did. He, he brought a sacrifice to God. He was going through the motions. But what he failed to do is he failed to satisfy God by approaching God on a, a different form of salvation. And let me explain that. Cain brought a gift of fruits and vegetables. And we don't know what these fruits and vegetables were. Maybe they, they were very precious to Cain. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe they were his prized fruits and vegetables. We, we don't know. It doesn't say. There's a lot of conjecture. People have different thoughts about it. But then his brother Abel brings a, a lamb. And God honors Abel's sacrifice but rejects Cain's. And through reading of the scripture, we can pretty we can get a pretty good inference or a pretty good understanding as to why. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remittance, there's no, there's no covering of sin. There has to be the shedding of blood. And obviously, in the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai, God explains how the sacrifices are supposed to go. And God requires blood sacrifices because the punishment for sin to be ritualistically clean before God, it requires a blood sacrifice. And so it's pretty obvious here that Cain's problem wasn't his denial of God. It wasn't uh, a refusal to worship God. It was blaspheming God's sacrifice. It's to blaspheme God by declaring that his salvation is incomplete by our attempting to add to it, as where God required a blood sacrifice and Cain wanted to bring something else, a work of his own hand. Look at the field that I plowed. Look at the, the, the crops that I grew. It's a work of my own hand. That's the apostasy. That's the error. It's trying to add to God's salvation, and we can't do that. 
Our righteousness, our good works are like filthy rags to God. The only way we can be saved is by accepting his work on Calvary. And we're going to talk more about this. We're going to get into the era of Balaam right after this break. You are listening to Ask the Preacher, 863-682-1430. See you in just a moment. Fourth and final segment coming up for Ask the Preacher, brought to you by Believer's Fellowship Church. And for John, here's George. Welcome back to the program. I'm sorry to announce this is the final segment. Stay strong, though. We'll be back next week. But we're going to finish up this segment talking about this warning that Paul gave in 2 Thessalonians. He talked about before Jesus comes back, right? So before uh, this gathering of the saints, before that day can occur, two events are going to take place. The first event is this great falling away. And the second is the son of perdition or the Antichrist being revealed. And so we're focusing on this first one, which it's mentioned first. So let's focus on it first. Let's do that study. And we're looking at the book of Jude. The book of Jude, again, it's the vestibule. It is the foundation. It's the book both literally in front of Revelation as uh, the canonized Bible has it listed in order. But I think spiritually it, it it's there for a reason. Because uh, spiritually, if you read Jude, it sets up what's going to happen in Revelation. And Jude is warning about this apostasy this falling away and what it looks like and how we can, one, not only be aware of it to help others, but probably more importantly, make sure that we ourselves are not falling into this apostasy. Because he mentions, again, in, in, in Jude, in verse uh, 2, that we're supposed to, I'm sorry, in verse 3, that we're supposed to be contending for the faith making sure that we're not falling into apostasy. And we looked at how Israel made a version of Yahweh, a version of God in the golden calf, and that was unacceptable. It was a vain image. It wasn't his true uh, image. And then we see how the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah fell into sexual perversion and immorality. And then we are, are looking here at these next examples of Cain and how Cain, his error was adding to God's plan for salvation. And now we're going to look at Balaam and we're going to talk a little bit about Balaam's history and what's the deal with Balaam. So if you're not aware, Balaam was basically a prophet. And uh, this is found out of Numbers uh, numbers 20... One twenty-two, somewhere in that ballpark. It's the story of Balaam. But basically, he was hired by the enemies of God to curse the people of God. Uh, and he was warned not to do it. But he he went ahead and he, he continued to uh, try to curse the people, but it, it didn't really work so well. But the, the whole story about the king of Moab and Balaam, uh, you... you Man, we should do that for a topic. That is a good one. But essentially, Balaam took the same path as Cain. He he lived riotously, and uh, he he made error. He was greedy, and and he uh, he fell into a a 
very bad doctrine. In fact, the doctrine of Balaam is is actually listed somewhere else in in uh, the Bible. It's listed in, uh, or it's mentioned, I should say, in Revelation chapter two, verse fourteen. So uh, here we have Jude warning us. The book before Revelation, the the prelude, the setup to Revelation, and then it's mentioned again in Revelation chapter 14, and so uh, sacrificing the eternal riches for temporal gain. It was, uh, it was basically the, the, the pleasure of sin for a season. Um, some of it, it, it's referred to as uh, the treasures of Egypt in Hebrews chapter 11, and so that was the, the way of Balaam. It was this marketing uh, of God, this getting rich off of God. And then we see here in Jude, again, Jude chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, he makes a, a uh, in verse 11, he's giving a warning and he says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So who is Korah? What is Korah? Korah was a Levite and a cousin of Moses. And, and Korah's story can be found in Exodus, uh, Exodus 6. And under his leadership, Korah and his associates, they rejected God's appointed mediator and they went down alive into the pit. They got destroyed. So we see that all three of these apostates listed, uh, they pervert, they, they perverted, they, they made error of God's plan for salvation. Now, I am a, I go to a word of faith church. Believers Fellowship is technically a word of faith church, and it is true that God wants good things for his children. The Bible makes that pretty clear. But to people who try to sell the gospel, they're falling into the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of demons. You can't sell the gospel. People like, you know, Peter Popoff, these these televangelist preachers who say, you know, send us $100 and we'll give you miracle spring water. That's not right. There's one way to salvation— it's through the crucifixion that God himself took on at Calvary. And when we trust and believe that his sacrifice was good for my atonement, it redeemed me from the curse of the law and the judgment of the law. When we repent, that means turn from our sins, trust that he is giving us his nature we are saved. And if we follow in his truth, which is his word, his law, we will avoid the apostasy that is coming and is already here. So get to know God's law. Get to know him if you don't. Thank you for listening to Ask the Preacher. We will see you next week.